Because who is Bethel Church, right? Who do we aspire to be? And the Bethel part maybe is far less important than the God's church part. Who is his church? We, we've looked at God's word and decided that we think our purpose is that we exist to glorify God by being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ whose lives are all about him. That's our purpose. And so, the question is what? The answer is glorify God. What do we do? What are we for? What is our purpose? We glorify God. Then if you ask how, we would say make disciples. That's how we glorify God. We make disciples whose lives are all about him. We make disciples whose lives are all about him. Through this series then, through this refresh series, we're highlighting the ways God calls us to do that. Our priorities that we are leaning in on. Passionate, expositional preaching and study of God's word, a value of scripture. Joyful living to God's glory, our worship of him. Empowered work in unity together. That's our mission and and our acts of service. And then a vibrant love, a vibrant fellowship together, our community and the family God has called us to. So, in this Refresh series, that's what we're focusing on, these themes. And I want to remind us that in this series, we've opened up a unique path to membership. We just talked about what should you join, should you be a part, formally and officially of our church. We've opened up a unique path to membership, uh, the the kind of steps there are step one, come week to week here, four weeks, Uh, last week was week one, this is week two, week three and four to come, listen to each of the sermons, and really, I'll give away a secret, we'll let it count if you have to miss, but go back and you tune in online or tune into our Spotify feed from the HP kind of live stage, tune into the four sermons, and then Come to, step two is come to a refresh membership meeting. That's going to be October 10th, the Sunday following the series. During our second service, we've got an offering back in the classroom here. We also have a Wednesday evening opportunity over at our Crown Point campus. You can go online to our website. Our refresh events are there. You can register for that class. Uh, Coming to the four weeks and then coming to that class Open up the doorway for you to become a member of Bethel Church. So uh, I submit that to you and hope you'll consider doing that. We've already covered one priority here in this series, Scripture. That we believe God's Word is His inspired Word. It's true. It's our authority in what we believe and, and what we do. And therefore, we think it's our nourishment. This is what we want to hold out to each other. This is what we want to take time to look at and to study and to know because it is how we grow in our relationship with him. Today, then, we want to turn our attention to our value of worship or joyful living to his glory. That's what we intend to do. So worship. What is worship? We throw that term around all the time. Are we really confident we understand what worship is? I wonder. I think it's worthwhile that we take a few minutes on the outset to make sure we know. Because if you asked a kid what worship is, maybe some of us, I don't know, we, we might primarily lead, they might primarily lead that well, worship is a genre of music. That, that's often in pop culture what we understand worship 
to be a genre of music. If you ask a non-religious person what worship is, they'd probably say, well, it's kind of like a spooky thing that happens inside churches and temples or something, right? Like, I'm not sure what worship is. It seems like something that happens at a physical place. If you were asked today, what would you say? If I asked you, what's worship? What would your definition be? John Frame, a theologian, gave this answer. In one sense, worship is the whole point of everything. It's the purpose of history, the goal of the whole Christian story. Worship is not one segment of Christian life amongst others. Worship is the entire Christian life, seen as a priestly offering to God. I think that's a a great generalist statement. Uh, A missionary and professor, Ed Smither, in his book, Worship in the Life of the Christian, said it this way. That in worship, human beings recognize God for his attributes and express this through adoration, praise, thanksgiving, service, and living holy lives. Worship constitutes the primary calling of humans. The psalmist includes many calls and invitations to worship, one of which looks like this. Maybe we can ascertain what worship is by listening to the psalmist in Psalm 29 when they said, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Jesus himself addresses worship when he talks with Satan. I do hope I find myself in more friendly company than Jesus in this moment did. I will let you know at the end of the service. Jesus said to Satan, it's written You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Referencing really the first commandment, commandment number one and two, all about there is one God and have no other gods before him, right? Worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Clearly, worship matters. But what does it mean? This is my attempt at a simple summary, and it's lacking. Christian worship is a correct response to God's incomparable worth. It's a correct response to God's incomparable worth. It's seeing his satisfying worth. It's valuing him above everything else. It's responding by joyfully living to and for his glory it's a response to his incomparable worth. And at Bethel Church, we want to worship God. We've said so in our purpose statement. We want to glorify God. We want to worship God by making disciples of Jesus Christ, whose lives are all about him. Uh, worship. They are worshiping him alone with all that they are because they have an unrivaled love for him. That's our purpose. We see it twice in our purpose statement, worshiping God. But here's the reality. Worship is not just like a churchy activity. Worship is more than that. In fact, there is no such thing as not worshiping. At no point in any human's life have they not been worshiping. The question is not whether we are worshipers or worshiping, but who and what we worship. 
we have an existential need to respond to worth, to be satisfied by something that's enough for us. You were designed for worship. One of the clearest examples uh, of this reality found in Scripture is in Isaiah 43. In verse 6 it says, and this is God speaking, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. God plays his hand here. I created humanity. I created humanity. Uh, creation, really, ultimately, for a purpose, for my glory. We were made to worship God. We were made for it. We were made to worship God. We were created with a need ourselves and a purpose to bring him glory. Created, too, by a God who deserves that glory. It's, it's a two equal parts that work together scenario. God alone is worthy of all of our worship and all of the glory of all of creation. And we were made needing to be satisfied by something that could be worth fulfilling us. And it's two parts of a puzzle that fit together perfectly. God made us for this. We are never satisfied till we are doing it with him, till we are worshiping him, finding our happiness in him. But some people aren't worshiping right. Some people aren't worshiping right. I know this because I know people who aren't satisfied in life. I know people who don't know fulfillment, who Feel empty. I also know some people aren't worshiping right because Jesus said as much. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets someone who's thirsty, but she doesn't realize what she really needs. And he tells her, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus creates a distinction here. There is such a thing as true worshipers, which obviously logically then means that we're all worshipers. There are just some who aren't doing it right. So we ought to be very interested in the question of how do we worship well if we were made to worship and God's the only one who can satisfy us and there's such a thing as not worshiping him truly. How do we worship God well? We see if in this passage a few ways to start us about how we are meant to be worshipers. See, we're made to worship God and we are made to worship God spiritually. We were made to worship God spiritually. When Jesus says true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, he doesn't merely refer to the reality of the Holy Spirit, although he's involved. He's ultimately referencing the living human spirit inside of a person who has been made alive by God and has been called into faith with him. A living person spiritually is the only person who can worship God. Worship can't be done without 
a living human spirit. Because innately, we all have spirits that are dead to God. And even if you show up to a great church, and even if you really vibe with the music, and even if you feel very real feelings, and even if you really like the sermon, which happens here an awful lot, I understand, (laughs) even if you live mostly right most of the time, even if you know a lot of stuff about the Bible, you can spend a lifetime without worshiping God. Worship can't be done without living spirit. True worship is spiritual. It comes from those who are alive in God, reconciled, able to speak to him, interact with him, and know him, and praise him. To say it simply, then, worship can only come truly from Christians. Though all humans were made to be worshipers and worship something, true worship can only happen in the life of a Christian. People who are saved by God's grace, who are no longer blind to God, who no longer are hard of heart, who are no longer dead in their sin, but rather are alive and living and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Without faith, aren't we told, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11. So, are you alive spiritually? If you aren't, you can't do what you were made to do. Because God can't possibly be pleased by the adoration of a people who are rebellious to him. And spiritually dead people can't possibly see and understand God as the great longing of their heart in the first place. It's possible possible that the reason you feel empty inside is because you aren't able to be satisfied because you're dead spiritually and skeletons drinking water are never gonna feel full are they the attention and success and love and happiness they've been living for are always going to cascade rib to rib and bone to bone into a puddle on the floor but spiritually dead person. Are you alive? You can be. Because we were made to worship God spiritually and also truthfully. Jesus says true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And I, I think this means at least three things. At least it means that we must worship God honestly. We worship God Honestly, Jesus made it clear he desired honest worship, that God wants honesty in worship. When he talked to some pretentious, hypocritical, religious people, spiritually dead, but incredibly faithful looking, it seemed to be believers, people of God's people, Jesus told them, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So, even with honoring lips, though their heart, since their heart is far from Jesus, in vain do they worship me. That's not real worship. Evidently, worship has two dimensions, the heart and the action. The intention 
and the deed. God cares about our motivations and our hearts before him. He wants us. He wants our worship. But it isn't worship if it doesn't also come with our affections, with our hearts. Do we have integrity like that in the way we worship God, in the way we live before him? Are we honest? Because we aren't fooling God. Are we fooling ourselves? Would Jesus say to us, this people honors me with their Sundays, but their Tuesdays are far from me? Would he say these people honor me with their public life, but their internet habits are far from me? These people honor me with their words, but their delight is in something else entirely. True worship is done in honesty. And truthful worship means we obey biblically. We obey biblically. We talked about this last week. God's word is our foundation. It's our way to know God. So worshiping God in truth means we must know and submit to and obey God's word. We don't give God the glory he deserves if we're not submitting to the truth that he inspired. Worshiping God truthfully means we worship him honestly, you know, obey biblically, and also ultimately, primarily even, believe Christologically. By that I mean we believe in and through Jesus. That is true worship, believing in and through Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. To worship in truth, will always include believing in Jesus and living with Jesus as the center of our joy in life. That's true worship. Okay, and so here's the deal. Stay with me here. What, what I'm seeing then here is, as I look at this passage, as I see what worship is supposed to be in my life and what God's defining it as, I'm noticing something here. That I think sometimes we... we inherently don't want to see. Truth and biblical authority are not a bothersome annoyance to meaningful lives of worship. And I think culturally we need to hear that. Truth, biblical authority is not a bothersome annoyance to a meaningful, genuine life of worship. I mean, sometimes you get the sense that people are thinking, man, why can't we just put aside all of these details, all of these insistences that I, I am holy or that I'm living a certain way. Why can't we just put all these aside and just worship? As if worship was an activity that could be divorced from doctrine. But spend too much time skipping past an insistence on authentic spiritual life born out of a gospel-centered biblical truth. And you can worship all you want but you're going to be worshiping a God of your own creation, your own construction. And God calls that idolatry, not worship. We have to worship God truthfully to worship God. And we were made to worship God spiritually, truthfully. And then finally, as a 
point this morning on worship, we were made to worship God completely. Completely. Romans 12.1, a verse I know our church covered in depth some years ago, says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, family of God, right? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because what he's done for us in the gospel to make us alive in him. Now, spiritually, we can worship. Now, truthfully, we know about the mercy of God. In light of all of that, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, which is your spiritual service of worship. Living sacrifice is your spiritual service of worship. We were made to worship God completely, like living sacrifices. Our worship is to present ourselves, our bodies, our lives as a living sacrifice. Now, Paul's writing this to a people who are very familiar with the concept of sacrifice, right? Old Testament. Believers, followers of God, the people of God, they would bring sacrifices. They would present holy, set-aside sacrifices of animals to be killed. They would present the body of an animal as worship. Ultimately, though, we would discover that it was Jesus who was presented to be killed as our divinely pure and powerfully acceptable sacrifice for sin. That's what all of this system of sacrifice had been leading to, was pointing out that Jesus was going to present himself as a divinely pure and powerfully acceptable sacrifice for our sin. And so now, Paul says, in light of this, we're called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, not for sin, but for the glory of the God who made himself sin for us. Is this... It's as if we're handing our entire lives and selves over to God for his glory. That's the picture we have here in complete worship. It's not a thing we do when we gather. It's not a thing that's confined to a place. It's a giving of ourselves to God for his glory forever. Of course, uh, you may remember this famous quip from D.L. Moody. The problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar, right? And maybe that's your experience of life and your own soul. Like, I want to, I mean to, I, I intend to, I'm going to walk out of here today wanting to be a living sacrifice. But then, all these other things that I've made, that I desire, that I tend to worship, drag me off that altar. God is not merely asking you to present something else as your sacrifice, your money, your time, your resources, your gifts, your abilities, your ambitions, and then get to run back to where it's comfortable. He is asking you to offer you completely. That is worship. Giving your whole self to God's glory. Living in response to the incomparable worth of God. That's a, an act that only Jesus can make possible. We don't we don't make ourselves better by living as a sacrifice. That sacrifice has been made already. We get to be a glorious sacrifice to God and find fulfillment and joy in him forever because God's already taken care of the business side of this. 
We get another perspective on worshiping God completely in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says, whatever you eat, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, we could spend time here in its full context. This verse is layered. It's talking about the freedoms we have in Christ to enjoy his creation. It's, it's talking about our need to abstain from a conscious worship of anything else as God. It's most essentially, though, following the train of thought we're in right now. That even the ordinary parts of our day have an opportunity for us to be in worship of God. We live each moment in worship, each moment to the glory of God, each moment for his honor. With our words, our conversations, our songs, our lessons, our prayers, with our actions, our serving, our longing, our loving, with our hearts, individually and gathered together as the church, we were made to worship God spiritually, truthfully, and completely. So, we want to. We were made for it. But we ought to ask ourselves, are we doing it? Maybe I need to ask you this. Who do you worship? What are you worshiping? To what extent are you worshiping it or him? Do you worship God Completely? Maybe we should take a moment and ask that. Let's just create space. It's going to be quiet and it's going to be awkward, perhaps. We're together, but let's focus on God. So let's do this. I'm going to take a minute. Who do you worship? Talk to God about that. Ask him to reveal. Spirit, would you reveal to us today what we are holding back, where we're crawling away? Maybe this helps. Think through the last weekend or week and ask, where was I feeling most alive? What does that tell me about what I'm worshiping, perhaps, ultimately? Or, or where was I feeling most empty and destroyed or even sinful? What does that tell me about what I'm worshiping? Let's ask God to reveal that to us. God, as your spirit is revealing to us right now, the longings of our heart, would you remind us gently that you are it. You are our heart's desire. By grace, you made a way for us to know you. That today... Perhaps after seasons of not worshiping, our first act of worship could be to say, I repent. I confess to you that that is sin. And I want you more. And I ask that you would help me to know the forgiveness that you provided for me and the worthy sacrifice of your son in my place. By his grace, may I walk in the life you've given, I believe. May that confession or that plea for help be an act of worship for you with integrity and honesty and truth. 
spirits that are alive. God, give us courage to completely live in worship. May we know that joy. We ask this by your name. Amen. We were made to worship God. And Jesus makes it possible for us to do that. But I wonder, as we go about the rest of our life worshiping him, how can we continue to succeed? We will only worship as he is our treasure. But there are maybe perhaps a few traps we can avoid. One worship trap that we can fall for is suppressing our delight in him. Because in inviting us to worship him, he's not inviting us to self-denial. He's inviting us to satisfaction and the best thing we could know, to the greatest good, to delight in the one thing in our life that is worth delighting in. The opportunity to live in joyful worship then is sacrificed, it's sabotaged when we choose to delight in anything else. We, we're actually suppressing our happiness. Jeremiah writes about this through the voice of God when he says my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit they've exchanged a, a worship of real glory for a worship of something that isn't profitable being appalled O heavens at this be shocked be utterly desolate declares the Lord for my people have committed two sins they've forsaken me the fountain of living waters they've hewn out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water God is the source of good, water-satisfying, nourishment, life-giving, refreshment, and everything else, all the people, all the things we might adore or live for, those are broken cisterns. They're wells that run dry, that will fail us. When we find identity and worth in something other than God, what we own, what we've done, how we've succeeded, how we failed, what others think about us, you end up worshiping those things, but they won't satisfy. They'll suppress your happiness. So don't get stuck in a dry well. Don't fall for delight in anything greater than the best thing. Don't suppress your delight. But then also another trap is focusing on your experience. That's a worship trap. When we focus on our experience. Man, maybe you've had a friend recommend a show or a movie to you and they're like, this was so moving. It was so compelling. You have to see it. When you go to check out that that movie, that show, do you sit down as the lights go dark and the previews wrap up, do you start thinking, what am I feeling right now? What am I, what's my body doing? Am I crying yet? What's wrong with me? No. You, you fix your attention on the film. You fix your attention on the production because then as you watch the production, it changes you. It brought, brings about the affection. You're going to sabotage your experience if you focus on your experience. If you're walking through a season of life where you just feel like, man, it's not hitting me like it used to. I don't feel the same way I've used to feel when I, when I serve or when I'm in God's Word studying it. It just feels dry. Or, man, when I come here to church, it feels like I'm missing something. Other people, they seem to know something I don't know. Perhaps pay attention. Is there a, a lack of life in you? 
But if you know Jesus as your Savior, don't fixate on the experience of your faith. Fixate on the author of your faith. Fixate on the object of your faith. Because the biggest worship trap we can fall for is misunderstanding his worth, the worth of Jesus. Jesus is worthy of more than passing attention or half-hearted admiration of more than Sunday mornings. You won't be satisfied going after any other treasure or hope. You were made, I was made to see him, to know him, to experience him, to enjoy him. Don't misunderstand his worth today or tomorrow. Because one day, when the world is being made right, you'll hear this song resounding across heaven and earth. Worthy are you, Jesus, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Church, Bethel Church, don't cheat yourself of the reason you were made. Don't cheat yourself of the reason you exist by waiting until that day to worship him completely, to worship him in spirit, to worship him truthfully. Let's present ourselves each moment of our lives to God. We were made to worship him. So let's glorify God as we make disciples whose lives, our lives are 